Welcome to Skills USA's podcast. I'm your host, Craig Moore. Today, I my guest is Lane Davis, who has an interesting story that we'd like to share with everybody. Good morning, Lane. How are you? Good. How are you? Not not too bad. So, Lane, first, let's start off. Tell me tell me about your 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 childhood. Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew I I'm born and raised in uh, Leesburg, Florida. So beaches and the sun are all that I've really known. I think I've, I saw the first time I saw snow was a few years ago. So it was kind of, it's kind of like nerve wracking to kind of like see what seasons are. So growing <laughs> up, I was all Florida and that was a lot of it. I, I lived in Leesburg through elementary, middle and high school. And I even went to college there for two years and now I've moved out to Deland. So I'm still staying local in Florida, but it's, a uh, yeah, it's my childhood was pretty, um, it was pretty, it was very, it was very good. I was, it's, Leesburg's a quite a, a quaint small town to grow up. You know, it's nice. School is school. I mean, you, you go through the motions of it and it's, it's how it is. I, you, you sort of find your interest. I was, I was, um, I really liked school. I was pretty academically inclined with a lot of what I did. So going through elementary and middle, I was pretty stuck to the books, made a few friends here and there and really just kind of enjoy, just enjoyed my, my time there is hit and miss sometimes. I mean, it's school, but then high school is really where everything kind of, um, kind of hit off for me with, um, with skills USA and things like that. Yeah. So how did you, how did you get involved? What was your trade area? So my trade area area was actually split between two different ones. See, I, I had originally got involved in, um, culinary arts and graphic design my sophomore year of high school. So I was kind of split between two. I was much more um, focused into like technology rather than culinary arts. So I kind of lean more towards graphic design, but I think, I think culinary was really where I, I had a lot more, a lot more fun. You know, I wasn't always sitting behind a computer. I was going to catering events. I was um, helping out with all the, all these sorts of things, putting on events at the school. So I think that um, through culinary arts, it was really just a great way for me to kind of get out of my comfort zone because um, I was much more, I was pretty in the books type of student. I wasn't really venturing out into like the, uh, into like more uh, extracurricular activities. I tried things here and there, but nothing really ever stuck with me. So when I finally took the chance to, um, to go out and do something, it was real, it was because I joined culinary arts. I, um, my teacher, Chef John Bell, he was, um, he was actually doing a presentation on career and technical education. And I immediately saw him and I was like, I, I want him to be my teacher. I don't know what clicked in me that day, but that was my freshman year. So next year I joined his class and over time he started to um, teach me about culinary arts and how things went. And then one day he said, you know, this is, um, here's this club that we have, that we have on, have on campus. It's called Skills USA. And I said, well, maybe here's something that I can try new, something that I can kind of get out of my comfort zone and take a, take a stab at. So I, I took a little leap of faith. I uh, went to a regional, um, training um, conference, and from there, it would. That's all that how it started. I became a regional officer in Florida, and then I moved on to become a state officer all the way up to my senior year. Well, that's great. So, for culinary arts, tell me one favorite thing about it and one challenging thing. I think my favorite thing would certainly have to be the food. Yeah. My my uh, my teacher, he was he made phenomenal food like all the time. We we would have our cafes on Thursdays and Fridays that we would have um, teachers and sometimes students um, come into our classroom and we'd serve them just like a regular restaurant. We'd have um, 
we'd have students serve as the hostess, seat people, student servers taking orders, people cooking in the back. So there's always food going around when we take breaks, we would just have someone make us some food or take something extra and then take it in and eat it. So I think food would have to be the my most favorite thing because we got to learn so many things, even though I wasn't really inclined to do culinary arts, I enjoyed cooking a lot and just seeing all these different ways to make food and just so many things to learn about it. It was really enlightening. But I think one of the more, uh, I would say sour aspects of culinary arts would have to be the, um, I think it's just the, I could, I wouldn't even say it's sour. It's just the, the hustling is always the thing is you're always, you're always on your feet and you're always moving that some, some people would think that bad, but that's really what got me to where I am today. You know, that work ethic and that drive to, you know, keep moving and keep, you know, having something to do and always staying busy, you know, getting things done. A lot of, I would say some people would complain that they're on their feet all, all the day, but really that's, you had a lot of fun. You got to talk with people. You got to, you got to work on work and making these foods. And it was really just an enjoyable part, but you know, after a while you're like, okay, I kind of want to sit down a little bit. So sure. we had this, we had this rule where um, my teacher, he, until we, we as students, we, we knew not never to sit down until we saw our chef sit down. So, which he rarely did. So it maybe be, we'd get up at like 8 a.m. for an event. It'd be like four o'clock and he's finally taking it. He's finally sitting down and we're like, okay, we can sit down really quick. So. Yeah. I think that it, it seems to me that you have to have a, a drive and a love for what you're doing in that way to be able to handle some of the challenges that may, that may come about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially. Oh, so sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was to say, especially in the culinary arts field, it's very, it's, it's probably, it's probably one of the most um, like fast moving fields that I've seen. I've seen, I, cause when I would go to conferences and I'd see people, they were all people in that field or doing those competitions were always just always moving. They always like had that narrow, that not narrow focus, but very just laser focus on what they were doing that you couldn't derail them. They were always just always moving from the next thing to the next. So it was very interesting to kind of come from that background and then see that I'm like, yep, that's, that's how it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and when I see these um, and I realize it's television, it's, you know, they show what they want to show. But when I see those kind of in the kitchen type shows on television, it just seems like there's a lot of bustle and a lot of busyness and, and intensity that you have to be prepared for. Absolutely. So you joined Skills USA, you became an officer. You said, uh, was it regional or state officer? So, so I had, I had become a, a regional officer first. And that was kind of my first like stepping stone to move into competition. I think I did maybe one competition and that was it. I wasn't, as I wasn't really kind of competition focused, I was just like, what's, what's this whole officer thing about? So then I moved into becoming a state officer that following year. And so that's where things really hit it off for me and where I think I had all, like the most of my growth at, in Skills USA. Were you always comfortable with the idea of public speaking or was that something that came eventually? It was it was kind of strange. I because I was a very like reserved student, I had not really thought of myself as being someone who could be a very good public speaker, but I had actually I was um I actually grew up in the Cub Scouts and then later joined the Boy Scouts of America. And I became an Eagle Scout in 2017. Okay. And when I was in the Boy Scouts, we did a lot of 
um, similar skill building, a lot of that workplace skill building, similar to Skills USA. And I think I gained a lot of a pretty good social skill set through the Boy Scouts of America. And that kind of helped me to be ready for that first speech in Skills USA to, to become a regional officer. Because it was it was interesting in that um, when I ran to become that, a regional officer, I didn't plan to um, to give a speech. Um, they they just said that they were having elections and I kind of wrote some notes on my phone going there. I was like, oh, maybe if I feel like running, I'll run. But it was kind of spontaneous. So when I jumped up on stage to to kind of give that speech, I was so surprised that I was able to do it so like fluidly. Naturally, it was pretty it was pretty shaky. Anyone you I have a friend in um, Skills USA. She she was there and she was running as an officer. And she I'm sure she remembers that I was it was just we were both horrible <laughs> but <laughs> but it it grew and i think i think becoming a uh, a better public speaker was because of skills usa going on stage having that having people try and point out you know this is where you i think you need to improve a little bit better you know you need to stand up a little bit straighter i i'm not sure if you can tell i talk fast here and there sometimes but I, that was a lot of my biggest um tell in in speaking was that i started to talk too fast i would think a little bit too fast and it would take me a little bit of time to kind of figure out that. But so over time, I started to refine that. And eventually, I really got pretty decent, I'd say, at public speaking. So, yeah, you know, similar to this is this, what we're doing now is different than public speaking. But I think you when when I go back and listen, I hear certain things that I like or don't like about my delivery or the way I'm doing this. And and, and so you, you grow from that and you learn and you try to improve, you make little changes. And um, yeah, that's, that's probably similar in, in one regard anyway, that you, as you, the more you do it, the better it kind of comes across, I guess. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you have that piece of material that you need to speak about, repeating it over and over and over again is the is the biggest thing. I, I know the, the competition um, extemporaneous speaking. The, I, I don't know the specifics, but that always kind of appealed to me, you know, get giving, getting like a piece of like a topic or some kind of random information. And then five minutes later, having to give this long speech about it, it's kind of like enticing and exciting to, for, for some people that's terrifying. I couldn't imagine trying to do that like years ago, but now it's kind of interesting to think like, you know, like how, how fast can I come up with like these bullet points and how fast can I like come up with like a really coherent speech to give out to people and see if it actually makes sense. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will say once they get involved in career and technical education and skills USA specifically, it has an effect across the board on their non CTE classes. Was that your experience as well? Absolutely. It, Skills USA really was defining for me as a student because I had, I really, I hadn't had that big, that big tell, that big um, change in my life until I joined Skills USA as a student because I really felt like there was something I was lacking. I was, I was a student and I was doing pretty well in my classes, but I still felt like I was missing something. Like, had I not joined Skills USA and had I graduated high school. I felt like I would have just missed something entirely. But when I joined Skills USA, I found what that was. It was it was a sense of community, a sense of learning, a, a willingness to kind of build off of one another and kind of create this 
this energy of just we want to do better we want to build ourselves into being these this uh this force of nature to like go kind of go out into the workforce or just go out to the world in general and just be a better person be a better student worker whatever that may be and skills you say really made its way into my life a lot more so and also just in how i operated outside of school it, it certainly grew my confidence beyond what i had thought at the moment i i was incredibly reserved and so when i finally started to rank going to skills us going to go to skills usa events and start talking with more people i was so much more relaxed more confident in what i had to say and everything that we learned through through conferences and just going there it was really just so much that it was just that great sense of community that skills usa provides and its students and its teachers too everyone just wanting to help you be a better person and that was something that i had never seen and and sometimes in high school that you don't really get that all the time. So it was, it was just nice to finally be a part of something that really fostered that kind of, that sense of motivation amongst people. Was your program in your home school or, or in the same school as, as your academic and other work, or was it in a separate location? Cause some schools, uh, they have a separate that way. Uh, no, mine was actually um, in the, on the same campus we had, um, yeah, we had like my, my culinary arts cafe was like right next to um, the cafeteria. And then I had like my graphic design class and like a building with like a math class too. So it was kind of, so everything was pretty mixed, but CTE was, um, it certainly wasn't like the spotlight of our school a lot of the time it seemed like. So it was, I kind of got sad when it didn't get the attention that it needed because I was like, these are the classes that I'm really enjoying. And I feel like I'm getting the most out of my time here. Not to say that academics weren't important in sure. their own right, but it was, I really, it was just kind of that reprieve. And it hasn't been an elective. It was kind of like, this is something different than just reading the books and doing the, doing the homework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, and it's, it's, it's been that, that sort of uh, challenge for, for CTE to, to be promoted and to be seen as valuable has, has been a continuing thing. It's, it's, um, and we, I mean, we still work with it. We are trying to, highlight the importance of it and why it um, is valuable. I think uh, it is getting better for sure, it, it, but it, it's always been um, a struggle of, of sorts to get to get that, to, to, to convince everyone of the value, let's say that. So you had a fairly dramatic incident happened to you when you were a state officer? Yes, was when I was a yep, state officer in uh, fall of 2018. 2018, okay. I, yeah, I was a state officer from 2018 to 2019. Okay, and what was your office? Just curious. So we had quite a few officers. So my I was the state goodwill ambassador. So I would work towards um, community, that part of the uh, program of work community service and just outreach to community. So when we went to our um, what was it? our state conference in Pensacola, I, um, I worked with a, a, a local um, community garden and I, I, I reached out to them kind of just blindly and I said, hey, like my name's like Nate Blaine Davis. I'm from Skills USA Florida. I wanted to, I want to see if um, there's anything that we can do to help you. We have a we have some numbers here that we can you know help you like do any projects that you want to work on. So they said, yeah, we could use some help with um, working on our community garden, this and that. So we so we organized a small team for um, at the state conference, and we had um, we had a we had a good time. We drove out there, and we uh, 
did some repairs here and there, moved a giant um, log stool, I would say. It's like this giant throne that was made out of a tree, uh, a tree, and it was very, like, it was very heavy. I think that was the last thing that we did was move this giant, like, tree thrown into, like, the part, into, or, like, part of the garden, and it was really, it was kind of funny. There's a picture somewhere of um, one of my friends sitting on that, and it was really funny, but... <laughs> That's great. So you were going to about to go to to uh, a state event, and what happened? So actually, I was um, so this was in September of 2018, and I was actually getting ready to go to um, what the Washington Leadership Training Institute. Oh, okay, yeah, WLTI, and I was um, I a local news station um, reached out to me, and they said, "Hey, we want to talk to you about um." this um this experience that you're going on they because skills usa and just that idea really hadn't been prevalent in um like in the school at the time you know really i think i was the first one for my school to become a state officer so it was kind of new and people were like oh you're going to like this you're going to dc to advocate for a career in technical education you know that's a really interesting thing like we want to talk to you about that so so a local tv station they came out and they were, they came out and they, um, they wanted to like ask me about it. They wanted to film like the, my um, culinary arts classroom. And so I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. This will be like a really fun day and stuff. So we got to, you know, I think we had our cafe later that day too. So we were, uh, so I was sitting in my teacher's office, kind of used like chatting to me, kind of calm my nerves. Cause I don't think I'd ever been interviewed before. So I was, I was pretty nervous. So I was just really, he was just kind of talking to me, get the nerves out of the way. Then the interviewers came in and they was like, okay, you, um, like, are you ready to get, um, kind of get started? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I stood up out of my chair. And then after that, I don't remember anything. I remember, I remember bits and pieces of the interview and I, they have a recording of it. So I've, I've watched that before and I'm like, I don't remember saying a lot, any of this. Mm. So it was, it was pretty nerve wracking. So I had, so the interview happened, um, on a Thursday and I woke up in the hospital in Orlando on Sunday night. And I woke up, I was in such a daze. I was, I, because, you know, to kind of black out for a few days and just wake up, you're like, I have no idea what happened until eventually they finally were like, I was like, what happened? They said, you almost died. And I was like, okay, that's well, actually my first, they told me like you almost died. And then my second thought was, Oh, Okay, never mind about that. I need to work on my paperwork for WLTI. This doesn't like I, 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 I immediately I was I immediately said give, I said to my my dad and my sister in the corner they were in the corner of my room they were like they were like you almost died and I was like can I have my phone really quick and so I started texting my state officer team I'm like I'm so sorry I texted my state my uh, the state director uh, Miss uh, Jessica Graber I was I was like I'm so sorry I missed the deadline for this paperwork is there any way that I can get like an extension I. I sorry I'm in the hospital sorry for the inconvenience <laughs> I'm tr I'm trying to get all this paperwork out of the way and they're like oh my god because I think <laughs> yeah but my teacher had told them what happened and then they're like oh wait he's alive and he's like actually like awake so me texting and then they're like what like what's going on I'm like like I just want to get this paperwork done and they're like no you can't you can't get any of this like you need to rest and so I was like nope no I you need to get this done so <laughs> so I had so it wasn't until like, I think a few days after being in the hospital, they finally, they were like, you had something called a sudden cardiac death where I guess you, which I didn't know this was a thing that you can just spontaneously die. You can just, your heart can just stop out of nowhere. I, 
I've heard of spontaneous combustion, but I've never heard of spontaneous dying. Right. So, and I, I had no health conditions. I was pretty healthy and they were just like, yeah, your heart just stopped out of nowhere. So I had no idea where this condition came from and everything that day really worked out in such a way that I, I lived, I made it out of this situation where most people would have died. I, I don't remember the statistics specifically, but I was in the pretty small margin of people who survived wow. and surviving not only like with minimal effects, but I, I had been unconscious for quite some time. And my, my, uh, my teacher, chef John Bell in the, in culinary, he was the reason that I am alive. He, he took action immediately when I started to, when I started, stop breathing, he was giving me CPR and they had, they had called the ambulance, but it was just nerve wracking to him. I scared my entire culinary arts classroom. They are all traumatized as they told me when I got back, they, I'm they sure. were, I was, I, I'm, oh, it was, it was very nerve wracking for them. I came back and they were just like giving me hugs and they're like, Oh my gosh, like, are you okay? So they, a lot of the people there, they were just kind of thrown aback because I mean, none of us knew this was going to happen. I wasn't exactly predisposed to anything. So mm-hmm. it was all that whole, that whole day I was, I got in the hospital on a Sunday and I got, I think I got out Saturday or Sunday of that, of that, the next week, I okay. think I, I was only in there for, for about a week. So I came back to school after a week and everyone was like, like, Oh my gosh, you're, you're alive. Like I thought, like, I didn't tell anyone I was coming back. I just came back as if it was a normal day. <laughs> so did this happen in the middle of the interview or did you actually finish it and then it happened and you just don't remember or surprisingly, I think I finished the interview and then immediately after I, I collapsed, I was, I was pretty impressed. I was like, well, I, I, I almost died, but I finished the interview. Yeah. Well, that, and, so. and is it could like you said, you don't really know what causes it or why, why it happened. Uh, it, so it wasn't anything to do with like, you were extra nervous because it was your first interview or. I, I, I had thought maybe I just had some extra nerves. Like my heart was just beating too fast, but mm-hmm. I mean, I got nervous all the time. Like I had given plenty of speeches before that and my heart was getting pretty, like my heart rate was getting pretty high and I was pretty nervous, but I, I couldn't see why this was any different. It was such a out of the normal thing. I'm just glad that it happened where it happened because sure. had it not, hadn't my teacher not been there, had, had, there was actually another part of it. The, the ambulance was only like an ambulance coming from somewhere else. And they were like a minute away from the school. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they got the call, they were right there. Okay. So everything really worked out that day. And it was, yeah, it was such a strange occurrence still to me today. It's just, it was really just a miracle. A doctor, they told me, they're like, it's really just a miracle that you're alive. And I was like, well, I really can't say much to that. It's, it really is. And, and so did they have to do any kind of a procedure on you or? Well, yeah, they, for about, um, so this was, yeah. And so October-ish, I had to wear a they call it an external defibrillator. It's uh-huh. like, it's like the big, um, like the big pads that people put on and they shock you. It's like a mini version of that. Okay. So I, I basically had to wear this band around myself and carry this battery purse for about six months Oh wow! until, so they would monitor and make sure it didn't happen. They were like, okay, well you just had this crazy event happen. We want to make sure that if you do happen to 
spontaneously die again, you don't die. <laughs> so, so, so it, you don't, the, it, it, there's, is there a chance of recurrence? Is it more likely or less likely? How does that work? Do you know? I would, I would think because it happened, it would be more likely. So after a while, they eventually said, you know, like you can't wear this, you know, giant purse battery for the rest of your life. You know, we want to give you a procedure to put in like in, an internal defibrillator Okay. so that, so, so that, you know, if this ever does happen again, you'll be all right. So I eventually, I had a surgery to get an internal defibrillator so that, so I have that now, and thankfully, all things considered, how how things happened and how things turned out years later, it's a pretty pretty good deal. I've I in case it ever happens again, I have a I have a backup, and other than some minor, I wouldn't say minor, but some decent cardiac issues, it's I've been I've been good. I'm very fortunate for considering all things that happened that I'm where I am today with minimal health effects on myself. Do you have to do anything special or, or do you have to avoid certain things is, is, is like, for example, is flying an issue or, or um, exercise or things like that? I would say um, I've, I've been through TSA. So I, I was curious about the first time I went through um, like through the airport, if they would say anything, but no, they didn't care. So I was like, okay, well, I guess it's a, it's pretty normal. So, cause I would had, I, I hadn't exactly been like, in the know of like fields of implantable defibrillators. So I wasn't kind of sure how that would work out. But um, I think big, the big thing is like, I couldn't like, I couldn't do like major sports. I wasn't exactly a, like contact sports. I wasn't exactly an athlete. So I wasn't doing like football or um, martial arts. So I wasn't getting kicked in the chest where mm-hmm. my, where my defibrillator is. Um, I think working out other than like maybe doing some like major weightlifting that would put a strain on my heart that's probably the biggest thing but it i'm very fortunate that i can still live my life like pretty naturally i i don't really notice i have a defibrillator until i kind of like touch my chest or i'm like doing something i'm like okay it's still there it's like it's a good that i'm aware that it's there (laughs) sure so so you went back to school faster than i would have expected was there a recovery process for you besides, I mean, you were back in school, but did you have to do like physical therapy or anything like that? Uh, not, not extensively. Um, physical therapy, they, they had a physical therapist come in and, um, and like check me, but I was pretty, my, my dad is actually um, in that, in the field of physical therapy. So he was keeping a pretty close eye on me as it happened. So he was, um, so he would like check, he kind of checked on me as, things went as uh things went on i had i had stayed in the hospital for about that week and i kind of had an excuse to kind of stay home for like a month or so mm-hmm. but i i was kind of sitting down and i was like i could i could kind of stay home do nothing for like a week or i can get back and you know stop mulling over myself you know i i i felt like the best thing for me to do really was to get out of my own head you know stop thinking too much about this and really kind of get back to living because i I really got interrupted with, I was really on a fast track with things in skills USA to kind of, you know, be more involved in stuff. And I was extremely excited for WLTI. So it was kind of sad that in the, in the end, I, I really pushed hard to try and go, but they eventually said, I said, you know, you can stick me on a little, like a scooter or something like I'll, I'll go to WLTI. Like, please just let me go But they, they wouldn't have it. I said, yeah, that's, that's fair. Sure. 
Uh, well, we're back in person this year. You should join us. <laughs> we're, we'll be here in live and in person this year. It, um, is it true that one of the first things you asked about was where your blazer was? Yes. My, my blazer situation was pretty, um, was pretty interesting because I, I, I'm fairly, fairly skinny. So trying to find some things that fit me all the time was, was a little bit difficult. So when I joined Skills USA and I had to wear, you know, a blazer and suit all the, or, you know, button up shirt and slacks all the time, I wanted to make sure I had some, I had some fitting clothes. So right. I had asked um, one of the uh, state trainers, uh, David Moy about um, like, Hey, can I have like a blazer or something? Like, do you have something that I can wear? And he said, we have a women's blazer. And I was like, you know, that'll probably fit me better than the men. So I wore that, I wore, I wore a women's blazer for a little bit. And then eventually I, I, uh, my teacher, um, ordered me a, uh, a men's blazer that finally fit me. Yeah. So I was like, okay, here we go. I got a, I got one that fits now. So I did the interview and then I was like, I woke up I'm like, wait, where's my blazer? And so they said, oh, they had to like rip it up. And I was like, to like, you know, get like, you know, shock me. So I was like, oh, that's, uh, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, so I, 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 it's not like it, of course, you know, have the blazer be destroyed and me saved. Like, I don't really care because you can always order another blazer. Yes, so that's I was, true. So I was, I was like, darn, I, you know, I can't, um, I can't get this blazer anymore. So I eventually I got another one. So I was like, okay, that's, that's fine. Do you still but have I, the pieces of the old one? I, I do. I, they put it in a, like a, just a giant Ziploc bag and, I, I've never opened it. There's no way I, I don't know why I kept it for mm -hmm. one reason. I, I kind of just felt, I was just really sentimental about it. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I was like, well, I, I'll, I'll keep it. And I've never opened that bag. I've never, I haven't touched it since then. So it's kind of just been sitting in that bag for, for the years since it happened. So, you know, it, it just serves as a interesting little sentimental reminder of what happened. So kind of morbid, but it's, it's still, it's still my blazer. You know, I, sure. we went through some stuff together. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to keep that. Now I learned a lot of your story from watching your Ted talk. How does one do a Ted talk? Just how does that work out? I, I was pretty surprised that I was even able to do one because I had, after I graduated high school, I went to um, Lake Sumter State College in Leesburg where I grew up. So it was kind of I was, I got out of high school and I was like, well, I want to, you know, I can stay local and then I can transfer to another school. There's not a, not too big of an issue there. So I had actually gotten into the honors program, the first year of Lake Sumter's honors program mm -hmm. there. So I was very fortunate to be a part of that. And my teacher, um, Miss Amber Carlins, she was the, um, a big drive and motivator to, to me to kind of do this talk because she, I had originally told her like what happened and she said, that's insane. You know, I, I actually run the, uh, or I actually, I used to run the, uh, the Ted, um, the TEDx, uh, LSSC, um, show like at the college, you know, I think you should really, um, try and run for this, like send an, send an application and see, like, see if you can get in. And I was like, I mean, I have no idea what I'll talk about, but I'm sure. Why not? So I, so I submitted an application video of me talking about how I almost died and really the kind of my, uh, my story behind, you know, what kind of got me out of that, that mental rut. And, you know, how does someone like just come back from something like that? And eventually it took, so I spent a few months working on, 
working on the the uh, my talk and then memorizing it and then eventually giving it back uh, the earlier um, or I ended up giving it earlier this year. So it was it was quite the process to to do it and it was because the school had the the college had uh had been doing uh their TEDx LSSC like format for a few years there. So they'd had um, they had me as a student speaker and then some of the faculty doing different talks on various topics. But it was it was quite nerve wracking. I you know you hear about TED TED talks all the time, and so getting the opportunity to do, it, I said, you know, there's no way I can pass this up. I I try to live my life by the uh, the motto of like of seeking discomfort. It's from a YouTube channel called Yes Theory, and they kind of kind of petition that like motivation to kind of seek discomfort and do things out of your normal so that you can kind of grow as a person. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew I had to, I had to do a, um, do a Ted talk as soon as the opportunity came, came to me. So in, in the process of, in, in your, in your talk, you mentioned that during the process of your recovery, you learned the power of, of stories and something called positive construct, constructive daydreaming. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I had, Growing up, I was a pretty, um, it was, it was interesting as I grew up, I was pretty like outgoing and stuff. And then came into middle school I was much more reserved and focused on my, on my schoolwork. But something that remained constant through all of it was kind of my, my love for you know, pop culture, um, movies, television, books, stories, anything that really kind of just told something interesting that you could pull, like pull, like some kind of lesson from, I was always watching like movies, TV, YouTube, whatever it may be, and people talking about all these different stories, all these sort of um, things about just the world, your human experience of just living. And I always tried to find something to pull back, pull out of it, because really, that's really how I was motivated by things. I started to, I learned more about myself. I started to kind of be more of myself because of these stories I'd hear about. I, when I joined Skills USA, I hear about the stories of, um, of past members of people who were like me, who were super, who was, who were incredibly reserved and then kind of broke out of their shell. And it's these, it's kind of manifesting these stories and saying to yourself, you know, I, you know, here's these stories, here's these lessons in it. Let me really pull from them and take it into my real, into my life and make it something that, you know, is actionable. I talked about in my talk the uh, the um, the movie Bohemian Rhapsody about um, the singer Freddie Mercury and mm-hmm. you know I I had I was a pretty big fan of of Queen going into that movie so I was so watching it was amazing but I had watched probably the um, um, Freddie Mer- or Queen's performance of uh, of Live Aid back in mm-hmm. way back when and I 85. <laughs> 80, was it eighty five? I knew it was in the eighties. I was trying to remember the exact year, but yep. I, I had I think I had watched that that performance like m- multiple times, so many times, just because um, I I just I don't know why. It, number one, I mean, it was just entertaining in its own right, but I think it was just watching someone kind of command a stage and really just how they captivate an audience. It's much. It's a great public speaking tool if you think about it, because you know here's this, um, here's this performance that's like, that goes on for like quite a bit, one of the most like iconic performances in history, but the way that the singer can captivate, you know, this audience and kind of get them to move, you know, it's a great way to like, think about it in a public speaking sense. It's like, you know, what can I, you know, like, what can I learn from that? You know, what can I pull from it? I'd watch it so many times. I'm like, oh, how does he, how does he talk? How does he vocalize? How does he, 
how does he move? How does he get that, that like response? And, you know, in skills USA, you're not really, you're not dancing around too much or moving around, but it's really just having that confidence in yourself to kind of speak your mind and, you know, give that and, you know, let your ideas out there. That's it was one of the things that really helped me to kind of, to be a better public speaker, just learning from music performances, from different stories, much similar to that. So I think it's, there's so much that you can learn from a good story, a good, a well-told story, whether it be in a book or any kind of like visual medium, mm-hmm. because it just has so much, it really invokes emotion. And if it's done very well, you can invoke just such a strong emotion and feeling in the, in the, um, in the listener or the reader. And it just real you can do so much with it. If you like positive constructive daydream, like if you can, if um, you can do that, because it's really just manifesting all of those, everything that that comes from it. It's, it's so multifaceted. I could have gone much deeper into my talk about it. There was a lot of, uh, I felt like I only skimmed the surface in my, in my talk about a really deeper topic. And I was, I was like, well, I, I only got 10 minutes to do it. So let's, let's try and get as much as I can in there. But sure. Sure. And so in a nutshell, is, is it, is it just visualizing yourself in these situations? Is that what that means? Or I would say, um, I would say, you know, if, if, a, if someone who's really young wants to be a, a singer and they kind of visualize themselves on stage, that's certainly one way that they can do it. For me, it, I, I really tried to um, kind of, I would take, for example, I would kind of like take the, um, the way that um, someone would really, perf- like that confidence that someone has on stage, if they're like, if I'm watching like a singer on stage or something and that confidence that they have, I say, well, they, will they have that like insane confidence to kind of like to sing or give this um, um, dancing performance, you know, it's, and it's thinking, you know, they have that skill and I just watch how they do it. And I think it's a, a big, a big part of it is um, a uh, something when I was in uh, as a state officer, we used to say fake it till you make it, because if you aren't confident or you aren't confident in, you know, doing a certain thing, I mean, obviously if it's like a skill set, like you can't like, kind of fake changing a tire you kind of have to know how to change a tire Mm. but being able to like fake being confident I mean no one's really going to know if you're scared or or um, anxious about being on stage if you act like you're um you're confident or you're prepared Mm -hmm. so it's almost like mimicking what you what you've seen in these stories in a way but translating it in a way that makes sense for yourself someone asked Mick Jagger once about his dancing and how he developed and he said, some, this is not an exact quote, but paraphrasing him, he said, at some point, you just have to enjoy making a fool of yourself. <laughs> and, and I thought that was pretty profound, simply because some of the things he does, I mean, if you're looking at it <laughs> removed, you're thinking, that I would not ever feel confident to do that. But he, he clearly just is, he probably at the beginning anyway, did exactly that, faked that confidence and just thought, well, I'm just doing it. Who cares? <laughs> yeah i i can't sing at all but i i went on stage at one of our at our state conference one time and i did karaoke and you know it's just it was just fun and it was just i i couldn't sing but i acted like i could sing and i wasn't actually able to sing but i gave a pretty decent performance so <laughs> so what are you doing now what what is your um what are you what are you up to these days so i just graduated from lake sumter state college with my um with my AA degree and I 
I'm transferring to Setson University in Deland. Okay. So and so um and so now I'm working on my next years of um of college to um, a bachelor's in business administration. Okay. What's the end goal? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I've been oh I've I've spent the last two years really trying to figure out what it is I I want to do and really what I enjoy. I've tried to you know put myself out out into like different situations and see what I can do. I still work with um, skills USA um, mm -hmm. a little bit, a little bit to kind of just, you know, give back and help out. And I've always enjoyed that. And I've, uh, I went to a film festival and I've kind of been interested in kind of possibly going into like the entertainment field into media and something like that, but, and business as well. I thought about starting my own business, not mm -hmm. sure what I would not sure what into yet, but, um, it's, I've really just kind of been keeping flexible and just, you know, seeing where things take me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as, as we say in the framework, adaptability and flexibility. Yep, absolutely. Is, it's, it's, it's an essential element. So yeah. And, and honestly, truthfully, it, in, in college is when you're figuring that out. So it's, it's, you've got plenty of time. I think a lot of people feel a pressure and sometimes will commit to something that in the end, it's not their passion. It's not what they want. So I think it's good to take your time and, and think about these things. Well, Lane, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. And, um, thank you. And I wish you the best. And hopefully we'll see you at WLTI. Yep, here's hoping. <laughs> yeah, all right. We've been listening to SkillsUSA's podcast. My guest today, Lane Davis. Skills